Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Good morning. It's 830 on Wednesday, February 2nd. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the state Senate takes a crack at tax reform. Then, bomb threats target Mississippi's historically black colleges and what COVID means for schools. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi's legislature yesterday took another step towards an aggressive tax cut as the Senate passed a bill that would take a chunk out of the state income tax. This after the House of Representatives put forth its plan to gut the income tax entirely. Delbert Holzman is Mississippi's lieutenant governor. He speaks with MPB's Kobe Vance. First, we reduced the grocery tax from 7 percent to 5 percent. That's critical because any mom or dad shopping for groceries will tell you that they have skyrocketed in the last in the last year, and we're facing severe inflation right now and cost of living. I thought that was very important. We cut uh, our taxes. We cut the four percent tax bracket one percent per year for the next four years, which is a total of one hundred and eighty-five million dollars. The grocery tax is a total of one hundred and eighteen million dollars. In addition to that, we got Mississippi out of the car tag business, uh, the state anyway, and we that will reduce our car tag fees that came to the state of Mississippi about $13 million. And then I, I think is a, a really good idea, which is a tax rebate. So taxpayers who have paid taxes will get a tax rebate of $130 million. A minimum amount is uh, $100, and the maximum will be $1,000. Per, per taxpayer. So uh, the total of the package is about $446 million over the next four years, with the majority of that coming this year. So it's simple, straightforward, sustainable tax relief for Mississippians uh, without raising anyone's taxes. How would this affect efforts to you know, increase wages for state employees or you know, accomplish other state projects going forward with this uh, budget cut? Good question. We we were very particular about that. We have included in our expenses the teacher pay raise, uh, some additional infrastructure, uh, health, increasing health care costs for our employees, trooper pay raises, uh, all of the things that, that, that people expect us to do from education to safety, from infrastructure to everything else. Those were all programmed into this calculations, and these calculations do work where we have sufficient funds to do all of those things and still have a tax relief of $446 million. And of particular importance, I thought Senator Hawkins did a great job on this. In the third year, we projected a 2% decrease after we get through with all the federal largesse that's being given to Mississippi. 
after that, we anticipate a decrease in revenue in the state. So we actually programmed in a 2% decrease. And still, this allows us to do all of the things we are currently doing, plus the ones we've outlined as our agenda, both in the House and the Senate for this, this next year and years to come. The savings by individual Mississippians from not having to pay these taxes, do you think that'll end up back into the state's budget by extra spending on other products? Historically, that that does occur. These kinds of checks that come to taxpayers oftentimes are spent. And so, of course, when they, they spend it, the state gets 7% back. So you're you're correct. We some of this money will come back to the state as it's spent across um, across the board on a, a number of different items. Do you think it'll be enough to close that gap a little bit from what the state would be losing out on? No, we did not program that at all. Uh, we did not program in here any any return on on for example this first year. Um, it's $316 million. We did not program any return in calculating to make sure that we could do teacher pay raise infrastructure, health care, rising health care costs, um, trooper increases in salary, the things that, that people expect us to do. So we did not program in our calculations to make sure that everything worked, any, any, uh, any of this money coming back through the state. What are y'all doing to ensure that the tax burden doesn't fall on the lowest re- lowest income residents in Mississippi as we remove one of the taxes that tends to scale as somebody earns more per year. Yeah, this this 4% bracket starts at $5,000 in income. So we we are we are directly hitting individuals and a- after this a family of 4 won't even pay any taxes until they get into the mid $20,000 in, in in actual income per year. Then the second thing I thought was important in Senator Harkins was to directly affect the grocery tax this year, right now, while while these are up. That is a significant decrease that hits every person who um, who eats in the state of Mississippi. How does your bill compare to the House Income Tax Bill, which they've also they've passed in their chamber and would uh, eliminate the income tax in different ways? Well, I think everybody needs to compare the two. I think you and the press will do all of that for for everyone. Our our charge to the chairman, Senator Harkins, who's chairman of finance, was to have immediate tax relief for taxpayers, long-term income tax relief, reduce the car tags, and give money directly back to people who paid taxes this last year. Those were the criteria in which he worked. And I think this sets up a really a formula for going forward. If we have another good year, I think you can see the Senate addressing these things again. And so there's a very good opportunity that we're doing, making the template here for future tax relief, not only this year, but in future years as our, as our revenue appears to be able to do the things that people expect us to do and still be, uh, be able to have tax relief. So you could see this occurring over a multiple years. The other tax relief that is proposed by the House has some of these in it, and uh, they have the grocery tax, they have car tax in there, you have income tax. So we, we have similar things, and I, I appreciate very much the efforts of the House and uh, particularly Speaker Gunn in bringing this to the forefront. So we'll, we'll start the process now by reconciling the two bills. Lastly, I wanted to follow back up on the rebate you mentioned earlier. Uh, who would qualify for that rebate, and how would it break down by – 
who would get more money versus the minimum of $100? It is a tax rebate, and it is every person who paid taxes, 5% of the amount that they paid uh, with a minimum of $100 and a maximum of $1,000. So if you paid uh, $10, you get $100. If you paid $10,000, you get uh, $500. If you paid $20,000, you get $1,000. Delbert Hoseman is Lieutenant Governor for the state of Mississippi. Lieutenant Governor Hoseman, thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much. We enjoyed it. We look forward to working with you. Coming up, bomb threats target Mississippi's historically black colleges. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. It was just kind of kind of shocking um, that, you know, like it being the first day of, of Black History Month, that it would start off in that manner. That's Roderick Talley, who's a student at Jackson State University. Yesterday morning, his school, along with several other historically black colleges and universities in Mississippi and more than a dozen across the U.S., received an anonymous bomb threat. Baxter Kruger is executive director of Mississippi's Office of Homeland Security. He speaks with Mississippi Edition producer Rob Lane. There's five historically black colleges and universities and a sixth with being Heinz Community College was added later on. They received uh, telephonic bomb threats. Threats were in the same format that's been used and experienced across the country with other HBCUs uh, since beginning of January. Uh, Those six schools were Alcorn University, Tougaloo College, Mississippi Valley State, Rust College, Jackson State University, and Heinz Community College. I think they included Heinz Community College because one of the campuses, I believe, in Utica was formally considered an HBCU. What's the state's role in responding to these threats? Well, the state is, um, well, Mississippi Office of Homeland Security's role in responding to them. We have a, a variety of a network of local, state, and federal professionals that are trained and equipped to deal with bomb threats uh, quickly. So basically, we get a call, we notify our task force, uh, and then respond appropriately. Each individual event is analyzed, and we determine what what sort of equipment or uh, asset needs to be deployed. Any indication why these threats are happening and or why they're specifically targeting HBCUs? Uh, I haven't seen anything that would indicate a specific reason. Um, and I'd hesitate to uh, offer an opinion on it. What's your message to students and faculty at the schools that have been targeted by these threats? We have some of the most uh, highly trained professionals in the state of Mississippi in dealing with these sorts of issues. If there is a threat, we will investigate it. We take every threat very seriously, and we do investigate every threat. We're doing our best to develop suspects in order for prosecution. Um, Schools will be given uh, 100% of our attention and efforts in order to prevent this type of activity from inhibiting their uh, or prohibiting their 
Learning Day, uh, we would ask that all people in Mississippi, and including students, faculties at these schools, that if they see something suspicious, to report it to their local law enforcement. We'll filter it up to us, and we'll investigate it. Obviously, these threats in Mississippi are part of a larger pattern across the entire country. Are you collaborating with federal officials to uh, participate in a broader response to these threats, not just in Mississippi, but again throughout the country? Absolutely. Next steps, anything that we should keep an eye out for? Um, Nothing that I have um, immediately available to me. Uh, Obviously, you know, you should keep your eyes out for any suspicious activity. Uh, that's something that we know is coming across the country. The great news is, is that there hasn't been any weapons or explosives that I'm aware of recovered from any of these campuses where threats were made. Baxter Kruger is executive director of Mississippi's Office of Homeland Security. Coming up after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, what COVID means for schools. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. The Omicron variant of COVID-19 will not go quietly. Yesterday, the state reported nearly 5,000 new cases of the disease. Those stubborn high case counts continue to present logistical snarls in workplaces, public spaces, and especially in schools. Otis Gowdy is a doctor in Meridian. We understand that children... Being in school is the most effective way uh, for to increase their learning. Of course, you know, when this pandemic first happened, you know, we were seeing children getting uh, affected probably one in 10. But since August, uh, children are now being getting infected with COVID-19, one in five. We're seeing increase in um, hospitalization for children uh, due to this new variant that has come uh, into play. Uh, and that this this new variant, the Omicron variant, is more contagious. Children are getting sick and can spread the virus to others, uh, and we're seeing them also being affected. We're seeing the multi-system inflammatory sy- syndrome in children, which is a rare condition, but getting this virus, it causes uh, the inflammation process in organs like the heart and the brain. That's why the vaccine is so important, so that you know, we can decrease the infection rate as, as well as uh, prevent the spread. Uh, and that will lead to children being able to stay in school and less days out of the classroom. It sounds like from what you're saying that maybe virtual learning in some instances might be the way to go with it being so prevalent. And, you know, each community is different as far as how they're going to keep their uh, children safe. Uh, we have seen that um, some communities have had to use different forms of uh, keeping their their students safe, uh, doing some type of hybrid model in and of itself. Because a lot of the the teachers are not able to be in the classrooms because they have they are out um, sick. So we understand that, and and you know hopefully that is a short term effect, not something long term. We're striving to get our students back into school and um, 
getting vaccinated is going to be the way to keep the spread down and ultimately keep people from getting um, sick and keeping them in school. Do you advise schools on best practices since the Omicron variant is so contagious? Yes, I do. Uh, You know, that's going to be on an individual basis as far as what the school systems are going to work best for them. Uh, You know, everybody is different uh, in their different communities. And so whatever's going to be the best practice, more so anything, is going to be uh, wearing a mask, social distancing, washing your hands, and ultimately getting vaccinated uh, to keep this, uh, to get us out of this pandemic. Do you see children with long-haul COVID symptoms? Well, we have been seeing uh, a lot of the uh, inflammatory uh, syndromes. Uh, It's a rare condition, but we have been seeing that. We have been seeing um, children at least still having fatigue symptoms, you know, after COVID. Uh, So we're, we're starting to see that Initially, it was in the adult population, but now we're starting to see those type of symptoms in our in our children. And what are the symptoms of the initial disease or condition that you mentioned? Yeah, uh, fatigue, uh, fevers, aches, uh, diffuse aches, shortness of breath. Um, those are some of the main things. You know, decreased appetite as well. So those are uh, you know the main symptoms that we've been seeing from from these uh, effects of having COVID. Can they be treated? Well, you know, it's basically support uh, at this particular time. You know, the thing is to not get COVID uh, so that we don't have those effects. But, uh, you know, ultimately it's time and support, uh, treating the symptoms as they they happen and supporting. Are you finding that families are getting vaccinated? I am seeing families getting vaccinated. It's unfortunate that seems like our vaccination rates are somewhat stagnating. So we're still encouraging people to get vaccinated. That's one of the things that we're still seeing in our hospitalizations, that most hospitalizations are from people who have not been vaccinated. We're seeing our hospitalization rates at peak levels before even to levels higher than when the pandemic started. For families that have a child five years or younger who cannot be vaccinated, what do you suggest they do? I still recommend um, wearing a mask, washing hands, social distancing uh, are going to be the main things. And for the parents and those children that are older than five to be vaccinated, that will help protect those at-risk patients uh, from getting the virus. Uh, Hopefully there will be a vaccine available for children younger than five, but as it stands right now, uh, those who are eligible to be vaccinated, uh, to do those practices, if they have any symptoms, of course, to social distance, uh, to help protect the younger population. And so the qualifying ages for the vaccine are five and up? Yes, five and up are eligible for the vaccines. And they can be found at any of the local pharmacies or healthcare. Uh, providers are available. I was reading about concerns that some parents have. One of them that was mentioned is that the vaccine might affect their child's fertility later in life. That is not the case. We have not seen any long-term effects of the vaccine uh, in our pediatric population. Um, You know, the vaccines have been tested tremendously, and we have not seen those things. 
Um, that's why we're, you know, pushing for people to get vaccinated who are eligible five and up. How do you deal with the backlash that has happened with getting vaccinated? Uh, yeah, so it's, uh, you know, basically it is one of those things where uh, I tell my patients, you know, it is best to be protected as opposed to dealing with the COVID-19. You know, it leads to severe debility in some people, and we don't know how people are reacting uh, if they come down with the variant. So my recommendation when I talk to people who are resistant is like, you do not want to put yourself and your family at risk of getting this virus and its after effects. Dr. Otis Gowdy, thank you so much for your advice on this important issue. Thank you so much. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Stick around for a full morning of Mississippi Radio. Coming up at 9, it's Fix It 101. Then at 10, it's Everyday Tech. And at 11, don't miss Southern Remedy. Find past installments of this and other Think Radio shows online at mpbonline.org. I'm Desiree Frazier. See you tomorrow at 8.30 for the next Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Have a good day. Try and stay dry.